1: Stanley. Good morning everyone and for those of you online, good morning to you and if I may, since I'm standing up here, give a shout out to my wife who has been hit with the crud full bore this morning. So she's at home and I'm here keeping my distance from you. But we are continuing the the series entitled Enough and this morning I would like to look at Colossians, beginning in verse 15, and read through verse 20, even though I'm only speaking on one verse. But I felt I needed to express the whole thing, so I felt like I was doing more than speaking on one verse. So if you have your Bibles, open it up, open them up. If you have your electronic devices, turn to Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the beginning, that in everything might be permanent, preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Yeah, mm, that's right. Well, this morning... I, I you know, as I'm trying to figure out how to communicate what I want to say, and the thing that came to mind was weeds. Now, I don't know if you have any weeds in your yard this year or not, but I am blessed with an abundance. In fact, this little weed right here, I picked it this morning. It grows next around my yucca... Yucca bush or whatever I think it is, and then also my olivera. I spray these things, and they don't die. They shrivel up, but they don't die. They come back. You can tell, see, if some of you may be able to see this little root right here. See, it extends under the ground and pops up someplace else. If it goes unattended, they start to spread. Mine have spread. I haven't paid too much attention to them because I'm too busy taking care of the weeds in the other part of the line so I don't get a letter from my HOA saying how beautiful your lard looks with the weeds. <laughs> but as I started looking at this passage I noticed that one of the things that helped me better understand this book was the fact that Paul was dealing with a weed that was emerging in the Colossian in that first century church. For Paul was addressing a weed that was called Gnosticism. It's a collection of religious ideas and systems that coalesced into the first century among the Jewish and the early Christians. It was their belief that to achieve redemption, one must reach a higher level of knowledge. In a nutshell, they taught that the world was imperfect. It was materialistic. Because it was created by an imperfect spirit. Example given, the God of Abraham. It went on to elevate angels who were the messengers of this secret knowledge, this this gnosis, which is given only to a few special people. Thus, it was important that you kept in good relations, you kept everything in, in the good graces of those angels so that you may be one of those people who get that gnosis that higher level of knowledge. Pertaining to Jesus Christ, well, the Gnostics saw Christ as inferior to them. And his death proved it. They taught that as Jesus traveled to to the earth, he had passed through all these spheres uh, of the planetary lords, which happened to be angels. I kind of get the impression of Wiley Coyote bouncing off the walls, you know, and then finally landing and he's totally, you know, he's just disheveled and everything else like that. Because that's the idea they said. Because Jesus Christ, as he went through all these fears, he lost the power, lost his authority, and therefore he was not able to defeat being crucified. He had to suffer because he wasn't strong enough. He didn't have the knowledge. And then when it came to Paul, Paul also was deemed inadequate. For he had not attained a degree of insight, that degree of special knowledge, and it was proven because of all the suffering that he did. But in this book, Paul identifies the weeds of the false teachers for, of some higher knowledge by first pointing out that Christ has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as we'll see in chapter 2, verse 3. Then Paul himself points points out that his suffering was not due to having having some higher knowledge, but because he accepted the call of Christ, and it would make the Word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints the mystery which is Christ in us Paul in his book wants to reassure us that Jesus Christ is enough he's enough in all circumstances he's enough for our lives today now each of us we all have some weeds in our lives you knew I was going there right we all have some weeds it could be circumstances or situations that are beyond our control, or maybe even some we created ourselves. Reoccurring sin, bad habits, lack of peace, a sense of spiritual imbalance. Perhaps we may have had an experience where your walk with the Lord was, man, it was just going great. It was sailing right on. You were just enjoying yourself and having this wonderful time. And then all of a sudden you become so comfortable that you miss a day here with the Lord. You miss a day there. You miss a day there. And all of a sudden you've missed a lot of days. And the weeds, they begin to creep back in. I know. For I can attest to the very experience for me. I had to ask, what did I lose sight of? Where did my train fall off the track? And so as I come to this passage, this this one verse, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation what did it mean to me what was God going to say to me through this verse and the outcome is is nothing really profound nothing deep but a reminder reminder For as I looked at this verse, my attention was drawn to the first two words, he is. And what first came to mind was that Jesus claimed about himself. I was speaking with a friend a week or so ago, and I was sharing how I felt I've kind of lost my way, become a little bit imbalanced in my life, and had become comfortable because it seemed as though All was good with my relationship with Christ and I was achieving my goals, but over time I started slipping back, back into that same old habits. And the weeds started to emerge and my attitude started to decline. He pointed out that sometimes in our lives we tend to take and begin to question and start looking inward. How can I fix this? What can I do? I've got to change this. And he says, We become, you know, maybe you come so inward that you forgot to look outward. And so I began to pray, God, what is it that you want me to see? What is it that you want me to say? Where is it that you want me to go so that I can get back to where I need to be going? Back to achieving the goals that I had set for myself for the year first place that came to mind was Exodus 3. We know the story. Moses is out there tending to his sheep. Probably kicking some stones, maybe sitting on one, looking around, and all of a sudden this bush catches fire calls out to Moses. I'm going to tell you something. If I'm sitting there and a bush catches fire, I'm telling you, that's going to be, you know, I'm going to start to wonder. And, from, and then from that bush comes a voice. Oh, man, you know, am I okay? Am I here? You know, I mean, think about this. You know, if we, you were in that situation. And the Lord says, Moses, he called him and he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He goes on to tell him, I'm going to use you. I'm going to send you down to Egypt to bring my people out, to bring them to the land that I have promised them. And Moses began to wonder, really? You sure you really want me to do this? And the Lord says, I'll be with you. I'll go with you to do this. And so Moses begins to listen, and he says, well, wait a minute, Lord. You know, when I go down there, well, first of all, I love verse 13. He says, now, if I... Decide to come down there. You know, God's already said, You're going. And He said, Well, if I decide, they're going to ask me, By whose authority or by what name am I coming to tell them that I'm going to bring you out? And in verse 13, God says, I am who I am. In verse 13, God says, I am, has sent me to you. And then in verse 15, he says, God says, the Lord has sent me to you. This is my name forever. God was saying, I'm the constant in time. I am the one who is elevated above all things I have been in existence for eternity, forever. I have no beginning, I have no end. In fact, Dr. Pentecost states that the the, the I am statement incorporates each tense of the the verb to be. It could be translated I was, I am, and I shall always be. God is saying, I have always been there. I am self existent. I existed apart from you. You have nothing to do with my existence. I like what Arthur Pink goes on to say. He basically points out that it says, We don't have to prove God exists. He already said it. I exist apart from man. God said, and then he also introduced a new name. He introduced the name Yahweh. And there's so many different aspects of the, of the name Yahweh, but the one that, that I think is being evident here is that Yahweh is the one who is related. I want to have a relationship with my people. I want to relate to them. I want to be with them. I want to be part of their lives. A great example of this can be found in Psalms 19 where the first seven verses the name of God is Elohim and it deals with the materialistic world as he relates to the materialistic world. And then in the next verses it changes and he says the Lord capital L-O-R-D Yahweh. And it's relational. He speaks of the relationship that he has with his people. The relationship that he wants to develop with with those people. And God is seeking that relationship. Relationship. And in, ta- in seeking that relationship, he has taken on human flesh, and he presented himself. For we find in John verse, verse one and 14, it says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father full of grace." John is pointing out because his theme of his book is believe. I want you to believe. And this is the only place in the Gospels where the listed of the I am statements. And I'm going to run through them real quick because I believe as I thought through Exodus chapter 1, I began to think of that, well, what did Jesus have to say? Because he used that, that term I am. How does that relate to me? How does that that help me better understand He is? And so I began to go through. John 6 35, I am the bread of life. Boy, I'm the one that gives you substance, that spiritual nourishment that you need to be able to live your life. John 8 12, I am the light of the world. You won't be walking in darkness. It was pointed out last week in, in verses 13 and 14 that God God will take us the father will take us out of the realm of darkness and put us in the realm of Jesus Christ the son. He is the light. John 10:7 he says I am the door of the sheep. I love the image there. The image is that that stone wall, that stone corral where they bring the sheep in at night and the shepherd is the door. He lays between the opening to protect the sheep during the course of the night. Jesus says, I'm that door. I'm going to let you in and I'm going to keep all the evil out. All the bad stuff I'm going to protect you from. You can come in and out to good pastures, but I will be that door. And then in verse 11 of chapter 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd, the one who cares. The one who will lead you between the, lead you down the quiet streams. The one who will prepare a table for you. And I love that image. Because sheep aren't that smart as we know. And they will eat whatever's in their path. So what the shepherds had to do, they had to go out and basically go into the field. And they had to pull the bad grass out because the sheep would eat it, they would get sick, and it would kill some of them. And back then, shepherds couldn't afford to lose stock. So the shepherd would go out and prepare that table for them by pulling up all that bad grass, those weeds that will hurt them. And so they prepare that table because he cares. Then there's John eleven twenty four. 24, I am the resurrection of life. He provides the escape from the spiritual death. For we all face the death unless we come into that relationship with Jesus Christ. John eleven twenty four. 24, I am the resurrection, or I I mean, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the accessible path, the illuminating truth, and the giver of life. And in John 15, 1, I am the true vine. He's the source. When we're attached to that vine, we find the nourishment that we need. We find the direction we can go. We have that ability to be sustained in our day-to-day life, in the circumstances, in the situations. When we begin to slip and we fall into and allow the weeds of our life to come up, He is the vine if we stay attached to Him. But what I found interesting about all these I am statements, not only is it saying I am, because of the Greek that is used, the Greek words here, which signifies the existence I am God, I exist above all else. And Jesus Christ is proclaiming that for himself I am. But what I find more interesting is the fact that it's all relational the i am wants us seeks us desires to have that fellowship with us and what i really enjoy when i read through this portion of scripture is john 8:58 jesus is having a great discussion with the spiritual leaders of the day because he's been going through explaining how he is, the, he is the, he's able to provide eternal life for the people, to those who believe, to those who follow him, to those who accept him. I will give you life. The spiritual leaders didn't quite grasp it. and He says, wait a minute, how can you give them, you're going around saying you're going to give them life, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Abraham's dead. The prophets are dead. How in the world are you going to give life because like every other man, you're going to die? That seemed to be what was imposed upon their reference to the death of Abraham and the prophets. Jesus' response was, hey, you know what? Abraham looked forward. He rejoiced in this day, for this day. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How can that be... You're not even 50 years old. Neither am I. But, (laughs) uh, okay, so I told a lie. Uh, But, and Jesus' response, gotta love it. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was. I am. I am the one who existed before all things, before creation, whose personality and power is owning solely to himself, who never changes, from whom all power and energy in the universe flows. I am the one to whom all creation should conform to, And those Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, they understood exactly what it was because their knickers got in a knot. They started looking for stones and they started wanting to stone Jesus, but Jesus had left the temple. Looking at the great I am forces me to look outward. What the Father has offered through the Son is so much better than what we can offer ourselves. By looking at Christ, I can better understand what Paul, how Paul addresses the supremacy and preeminence of Christ. Because now we know that Jesus Christ is the God. He proclaimed to be the Lord. He, quality, he made himself equal to the Father because that's what he was. And is. So by looking at Christ. And by recalling the claims of Christ. We can better understand Paul. And others as we look at Christ through their eyes. And that's where that word he is. It's that little word. It's what is is. It's considered a present. Indicative, which shows that the subject happens. It shows Paul is saying he is the image of the invisible God right now. He is the firstborn of all creation right now. Not only yesterday or the day before, last week, last month, but right now, tomorrow. Next month, next year, 100 years from now. He is right now, the invisible God. And the subject carries with it, carries out the action. He exists. He exists. And not only that, but that little word is because of the, the, what it is. It's a true statement that you can take to the bank. I know it's hard to say with banks failing, but, you know, (laughs) just, you know, understand the the analogy there. So I began to look at this, he is. Where was it used? In what context was it used before by others? Paul, and I tell you what, this guy, you know, here he is. He's He's... His first presence that we are introduced to him, he's a coat check guy at Stephen's stoning. He's watching the coats while everybody else is throwing stones. Next we see him that he's on his way to Damascus. He's, at, he's pursuing the Christians because those people, they were crazy. They didn't know what they were doing. They were believing the wrong things. They were going against the, the, the synagogues. They were going against the tr- teachings of, the, of Israel. And they had to be prosecuted. They had to be persecuted. And he was going after them. And then all of a sudden, poof, the big light comes on. It blinds him. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, the one that you persecuted. Jesus tells him, you need to go into Damascus. You're going to run into to have some fellows there, and you're going, to, you're going to learn. You're going to sit under them. So he goes in there. He begins to be discipled in Acts chapter 9. And as he's being discipled, of course, the scales fall off his eyes, and he's beginning to learn. And what is really unique is you've got this, this, this Jew of Jews, this well-educated man, this man who knew the law. He knew the Torah. He knew it all. And he knew how to relate it. And when he became and when he was discipled, I truly believe he was able to put it all together. Because one of the first things it says in Acts nine twenty, it says that after he spent time with the disciples, he went to the synagogues. Boy, he didn't waste any time. He went to the synagogues, and he says he is the son of God. I can only imagine, wait a minute, <laughs> who is this guy? Wasn't he the one that was persecuting us? What's going on here? In the beginning, they didn't, the Christians didn't trust him. But over time, he developed his, he developed his ministry. And then we come across the, the same he is in chapters 10, verse 36, Peter and Cornelius. The gospel is spreading and, and the spirit is falling upon the different groups of people. And Cornelius, of course, is rep, representing the Gentiles. And his household was there. And Peter came in and began to talk with them and began to share with them. And in his sharing with them, he said, Jesus Christ... He is the Lord of all. And of course, as you continue to read, Peter is laying out the case for Jesus Christ. And before he can get to the part, do you want to accept? Oh man, the Spirit of God came across the household of Cornelius. Everybody started speaking in tongues, which was the sign of the Spirit falling upon them. And Peter can only go, wow. Then we come to Colossians. He is the image of, He's the original. He's the pattern. He's not the likeness. My son and I were out at Viking golf course in Minnesota and we were golfing years ago. He was a teenager then. And we were out there golfing and some golfer hit an air at ball. And he comes over and John and I are standing next to each other. Of course, we got our ball caps on and everything. He comes up and he gets right in our face. And he just, are you guys twins?
0: <laughs>
1: and I'm sitting there and I start smiling. <laughs> no, he's my son. And he goes, wow, you guys look so much alike. I looked at John and I said, aren't you blessed? <laughs> of course, he rolls his eyes and walks off. <laughs> He's not the likeness. He's the original. He's the firstborn of all creation. He was there when the foundations of the earth were were made. He was there from the very beginning. When all creation was put together, as we find in John chapter 1. And then in verse 17 of Colossians, He is before all things. In verse 18, he is the head of the body. And again in verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. Those will be covered in the coming weeks. Hebrews 19, or Hebrews 9 5, or Hebrews 1 1, excuse me. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Hebrews 9.15, Therefore He is the mediator of the new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. He's that mediator for us. He's our advocate. First John 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful. Remember, That he is, the is, he does the action. He's the one who is faithful. He's the one who forgives us of our sins. He's the one who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And then there's Revelation 7 14. They will make war on the Lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. When I look at this passage, I see the supremacy of Christ. I see His preeminence. And the fact that he is is coming and saying, I am the one. I am who I am. I want to be the preeminent one. I want to be the one who is supreme in your life. And so I have to make a choice on day to day whether I'm going to let him do that. Whether I'm going to allow myself to continue to slip so weeds can manifest themselves in my life and draw me further and further away from him. Or whether I am able to draw closer to him. And for me, this passage was the beginning. For I was able to go back and see Christ as who he is, the I am. I'm able to see Christ who he is in relationship to me and the church. One of the weeds in my life has to do with driving. Now, I don't know if any of you all have any problems with driving. But, you know, there's these people who will be over in the left-hand lane, oh, that's my exit. (laughs) There was a time I had chose words for them. I didn't swear. But I had called them something that had to do with their intelligence, something that had to do with their uh, abilities, you know, things like that. Those are the words I would use. In fact, one time I was driving my granddaughter's home, and some guy, there was about a foot, between me and, and the space, and this guy going, and I just yelled out, you! And I'm sitting there, girls, girls, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you guys aren't used to those words, please, please, please forgive me, don't, don't tell your grandma. <laughs> yeah, like, right, the minute they walk in, hey, grandma! <laughs> well, A week ago this past Wednesday, you know, it was raining that week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It was raining and everything else like that, and I'm driving. We had to pick up the grandkids and bring them home because we were going to watch them because my daughter and son-in-law are going out of town. And so we had the blessing of having the kids at the house, and I love it when they're over because we get to do so many fun things, and, and, and it's just enjoyable. But we were driving along, and it's raining, and I've already been through a couple of downpours and everything. Plus, somebody... Decided that they wanted to rearrange the right side of my daughter's van in the rear, and so I didn't have a right hand turn signal. So I'm driving down the interstate, you know, and I'm constantly looking, making sure there's plenty of room because I'm gonna turn the signal on, but the only people who can see me is one through the rear view mirror, and the one's going down the interstate the opposite direction. People behind me can't see. And I'll be honest with you, folks, if I start using my hands, people are gonna go, what an idiot. They're they're not going to know what that means. And so I'm looking at everything else like that. Well, here we are. We're coming up. We come across the bridge over Lake Ray Hubbard, and we're coming up the hill, and all of the things start slowing down because I'm driving my safe speed of five miles above the speed limit. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) And so I'm driving and all of a sudden, we've got to slow down. Everybody in front of me has got to slow down. Why do they got to slow down? And so we ended up coming over and finally getting the opportunity to go around this car. And I'm going across around this van, and sure enough, there's this lady driving this van in the fast lane below the speed limit at 65, below that speed limit, not my speed limit, the legal speed limit, and, and she's driving along, and she's playing with her phone. I started, I, I can't believe this lady, and I stopped. I stopped. Part of it is because I've been engrossing myself in this passage. The other part was because I had these kids back here. <laughs> I'll be honest, you know, there's dual thing here. And, and, and I stopped. And I said, okay, I can't believe how careless this woman is driving with her phone. And this intelligent, highly intelligent, Six-year-old, sitting in the back seat, yells out, Grandpa, you didn't use a complete sentence. (laughs) I'm sitting there going, you know, there's a T-shirt out there that says, Grandpa knows everything, but what he doesn't know he'll make up? I want that shirt. So I'm sitting there going, okay, how do I respond to this? I said, okay, wait a minute. What I did is I put a comma in there because it's a pause. And because it also gave me time to think about the proper words to say. She bought it. (laughs) But I've seen great improvement in that area of my life. Because that's an area of my life I wanted to see change because I wanted Christ to take over that area for when I'm driving. So when somebody cuts me off or zooms across four lanes or drives slow that I choose the proper words or maybe not even say anything. And Paul says he is. He means he is. All that we need. All that is for us to have. So I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know if you have areas of your life that are slipping. I don't know if you have areas where you're struggling in. I don't know. I know where mine are. And maybe these words, even though it's not really profound, maybe they found some encouragement with you. I hope they did. But Jesus Christ, do you find him enough? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the words that you give us. We thank you for all that you have done in our lives and what you're going to do. I thank you that we can find you to be enough. That we can find you to be the one who desires the relationship with us, the one who wishes to be the preeminent one, the supreme one, to guide us, to feed us spiritually, to nourish us, to enlighten us, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Thank you, Father. In Jesus name. Amen.
0: Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through his word, and if you don't know Jesus as your savior, I invite you to trust him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website redeemerrc.com and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church, but tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.